Blog Talk Radio.
we've got uh, we've got a tremendous amount of problems that uh, America faces from illegal immigration, and we're going to be talking about that tonight. So we're going to talk about the the problems that our nation faces, uh, and specifically the the border states, the states that they do share borders with uh, another foreign country. And uh, for us here down south, that is Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and California. They all share the uh, we all share borders with uh, with Mexico. In the north, of course, we have uh, uh, a great deal of uh, border with Canada, but we have less issues there, although there are a lot of security issues. <clears throat> In the southern borders, we have hundreds of thousands, even millions of folks crossing the borders illegally. Uh, the majority are just crossing to try and find a better life. They're trying to to figure out a way uh, to make money to support themselves and their families and uh and while that seems like it's not a problem and it's you know it's a, a good thing for them to do for them and their families which it is uh it's a bad thing for our nation uh, so we're going to be talking about uh we'll be talking about that in just a minute <clears throat> we're going to have uh, uh we'll be on the show in just a minute first so I'd like for you guys uh, I'd like to offer you the opportunity to call in and uh, and tell your local Appleseed crews thank you. It's something we do every week on the show. The call-in number is 347-308-8790. 347-308-8790. And thank the, the folks working in your local Appleseed crews because they're not getting a dime for this. Each and every one of us are volunteers. <clears throat> We donate our our time and effort, and uh, in a lot of cases, money. I know I've donated uh, thousands of dollars to Appleseed, and uh, and no one's getting paid for this. We're doing it because we think that this is a good way to help our nation. All right, getting folks out on the firing lines across America, uh, getting them to set a goal for themselves of improving their rifle marksmanship, which they do at an Appleseed two-day rifle marksmanship clinic, getting them to set that goal, to meet or exceed that goal, because what we want to do really is get to the next part, and that is to get them to ask the logical follow-on question. Once they've met their goals and they've exceeded them, what is the next follow-on question? It's what's next. What can we do next? And that's an important goal. Um, that's an important question because we want them to set additional goals. We want them to to start thinking about ways that they can become involved uh, in the bigger picture. And the bigger picture consists, consists of the we, the people of these United States. To get involved in the bigger picture and to become a part of the government, the government being we the people, and ensuring 
that we're keeping an eye on the folks that we've sent to represent us, to make sure that our nation is heading in the direction it should be heading in. <clears throat> Appleseed volunteers are just that. They're volunteers, and they do a fantastic job each and every weekend of the year. There's an Appleseed two-day rifle marksmanship clinic within a reasonable dis- driving distance of you. Now, I don't mean it, it, it may not be five miles away or ten miles away. It may be 250 miles. That's a reasonable distance to drive to get the uh, instruction that you're going to get at an Appleseed two-day rifle marksmanship clinic. <clears throat> and while you're at the clinic, and you are being exposed to the absolute best fundamentals of rifle program in the nation, we're going to talk to you about about our history, about the history of this nation that began on April 19, 1775. And that's where our that's that's where this nation began. It was birthed at that moment. Before that, there was no America. There was no uh, United States. But on April 19, 1775, that all changed. We're going to talk to you about who was there, what they did, why they did it, and what the vision, what visions the founders had for our nation. And we can't talk to you about, we can't tell you every bit of history that our nation has faced from 1775 until now, but we are going to talk to you about that specific date. And uh, and we hope that once you've heard that, that you'll get your your patriotic batteries will get recharged, and you'll begin to have a uh, a different understanding of your place in this country. All right. So if you want to attend an Appleseed Rifle Marksmanship Clinic, you can go to rwva.org, RomeoWhiskeyVictorAlpha.org. I'll take you to the homepage. On the homepage is a, a bunch of tabs across the top. Uh, on the far left, you'll see one that says Appleseed. Put your cursor on that. You go to drop-down menu. On the drop-down menu, it says Schedule. Click on that, and that will take you to a map of the United States. On that map, select the state where you'd like to attend an event and click on that and it will give you the dates and locations for events there in your state. Uh, if you are in uh, if you're in one of the central states or one of the smaller states, be sure to click on the states around you. Uh, there may be there may be one in your state that's uh, 100 miles away, but there may be one right across the border that's uh, 20 miles away. So be sure and check the surrounding states for events, not just your your own state, check the surrounding states for events. And then don't just think about attending an event. That, uh, don't just think about it, all right? Uh, all of us are dragging around a great big Superman cape, and on that cape we're dragging around all of the things we're going to do someday. All right, don't add this to that, all right? Find the event you want to go, click on it. You'll even get uh, a link where you can pre-register for it. And go ahead and pre-register because that helps us uh, 
if we know how many people are coming, then we'll know how much uh, gear to bring. We'll know how many instructors to bring. And listen, uh, this takes a lot of planning. It takes a lot of uh, uh, a lot of folks and gear uh, moving back and forth across the nation. <clears throat> uh, and if you pre-register, that will help us in the planning stages of it. <clears throat> All right. An Apple Feed about the Marksmanship Weekend is going to be the least expensive firearms instruction course that you're going to find. There's not any that are cheaper, all right? Because we're a nonprofit organization, we can do it at this price. And believe me, we're we're pretty heavy on the nonprofit right now. But we're not doing it to make money. We're doing it to make riflemen. So that's why the price is so inexpensive for uh, uh, for a guy that is not law enforcement, active duty, guard, or reserve. Uh, it's going to be seventy bucks for a woman. It's ten dollars for a child. It's five dollars. <clears throat> that's if you pre-register. If you walk on, I think there's an additional ten bucks for each of them. But it's going to be seventy bucks for the guys. Ten dollars for the the woman and five dollars for the child. And uh, if you are law enforcement, active duty guard or reserve, then we would like to extend an invitation for you to attend one of our events at no cost. All right, we want to give back, and we're going to do that by allowing you guys to attend at no charge. <clears throat> if you need some additional information, or if you want somebody to answer your questions, <clears throat> one of the other tabs on the homepage at rwva.org is a contact tab. I believe it's on the far right side. You can click on that. You can send uh, general questions to rwva.org, or you can uh, click on a specific state, and your message will be sent to the person that is uh, uh, shepherding that state. All right? Uh, we're going to have uh, we're going to have Wayne Thompson on in a bit, and uh, I want to thank Sam D. Sam D. is uh, my co-host, and uh, Sam does a great job every week. He's here with me, and uh, he's running the switchboard, and he's listening to the show and. Uh, if there's a power failure or something like that here, it jumps right in and starts uh, uh, making sure that there's continuity in the show. And I really appreciate that because even though you don't hear Sam's voice a lot, uh, he's still there. If I'm here, he's here. So my thanks to you, Sam. And uh, and then I want to thank uh, uh, Kirby Foster. Kirby Foster is an Appleseed uh, full instructor, and uh, Kirby has been a friend of mine for a long time, and he's just hes just as good a guy as you'll ever meet. He's nice. He's smart. Uh, he's, uh, he's a fine-looking ladies' man type guy, and, uh, <laughs> and I really appreciate Kirby. Kirby does the, uh, the IT stuff, uh, all the computer stuff for Appleseed. And he does the computer stuff for Battle Road also. Battle Road is a company that uh, 
myself and my partner, Mark Martinez, who is also an apple seed instructor, that we uh, started up here in uh, in Central Texas. And uh, BattleRoadUSA.com is our website. And I want to remind folks, too, while I'm talking about this, that uh, Battle Road USA is hosting its second uh, end of the world as we know it, zombie destruction running gun on October 12th. And uh, we're limiting the sign-up to 100 folks, okay, which is about what we had this, uh, at this last run. And uh, we don't want it to get too big because we're really not set up to handle uh, much more than about 100 folks. We're limiting, it, limiting the uh, slots to 100. So if you would like to attend the Battle, US, Battle Road USA running gun, then you'll need to go to our website, battleroadusa.com, and uh, click on the upcoming events, and uh, that'll take you to the page. And then on the page, you can register there. You can pre-register just like you do for Alice. As a matter of fact, we've been using Eventbrite, the same company. <clears throat> and you'll need to do that before we reach the 100-person uh, limit. The uh, run gun is a four-and-a-half-mile looping trail, and there's going to be nine or ten shooting stations along the trail for rifle and pistol. I don't think that we're having any shotgun. I think it's just I think we're just going to keep it rifle and pistol. And uh, there will also be a series of obstacles that you'll have to negotiate, uh, like a, a telephone pole bridge. It's got a, I think it's a 14-inch wide tread. Uh, that you have to cross. There is, uh, there are uh, like uh, climbing walls and fences that have to be negotiated. Uh, there is a uh, like a big tree obstacle course that you'll have to go through. There is a, a long tunnel of tractor tires, uh, and then there's going to be a lot more because I'm adding in a bunch of folks that they wanted more obstacles, and I'm only too happy to. Uh, uh, to accommodate them and put in more obstacles this year. So if you go to BattleRoadUSA.com, you will get. Uh, you can go to the sign up page there and sign up. Now, I, I think, uh, I think that there are still some free slots. If you guys want to attend the event for free, I think there's still some free slots that uh, you can get by emailing mark at battleroadusa.com and telling him that you would like to work as an RO, as a range officer for the event. Now, what that means is you'll come on Friday instead of the events on Saturday. You'll come on Friday uh, and you will run the event on Friday with the rest of us, all of the uh, all the staff, the Battle Road USA staff and the ROs. You'll run it on Friday. And then on Saturday, you'll return and you will work as a range officer. And for that, we're going to waive your $100 uh, event fee, right? And I believe that it will also be a, a two-category event again this year. That means uh, uh, for one, you'll be shooting one round per target, and that's the target division. One round per target. That's all you have to get. And the combat ready. You'll have to hit the target five times 
all right, before you can move on. That means you're going to be carrying a lot more ammunition. And this is a great way for you to test your gear and uh, and see if your gear is running the way that you think it should. All right, for all of you uh, survival guys and lookout guys, four and a half miles is really not that long a distance. But I tell you what, four and a half miles is plenty of time uh, for you to <laughs> to find problems with your gear. All right. Uh, I know that uh, I did it this year uh, a little differently than uh, than I did the Pecos last year, and uh, the different than I did the Pecos the year before because I keep trying different ways to to run my gear. I remember last year at the Pecos run, which is about seven, a little over seven miles uh, in the desert. Uh, I decided last year I was going to carry everything on my belt because I was carrying it on my back and some other ways like that. And I said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to carry everything on my belt this year. And uh, so I did. But the problem is, is that uh, in less than a mile, my pants started sagging down. Even with the belt cinched up tight, you know, because I had, uh, I imagine I had, you know, about 200 uh, rounds or so of of, uh, 9mm and uh, 5.56. My pants started tagging down some, which caused me to start getting a chafe, which means the next six miles I had to run with my left hand holding up, holding up my pants in my crotch. So that's what I learned. Uh, I learned that I'm going to have to get some suspenders. so four and a half miles, that's all it is, but it it will teach you very quickly if you have any, especially if you have any uh, major glitches with your gear, you'll find out pretty quick that uh, uh, that it's not working right if you uh, if you end up uh, uh, with something going wrong, then uh, this is a good time to find out, all right? When you're doing a uh, a fun, a pleasant event, not when uh, you're having to bug out because the aliens arrive. <clears throat> so use this time. Use the uh, uh, use the running gun as a way for you to check out your gear. <clears throat> uh, Sam, did you give uh, Wayne a call? If you'll give, give him a call and get him on the the line and. Uh, We'll go ahead and bring him on. I think he's ready to. Uh, I think he's ready to come on. Uh, and then, uh, and then we're also at the same time. I want to get this out too. We're also running a uh, <clears throat> uh, and bullet. If you want to go ahead and call in real quick before we get uh, uh, Wayne on the line. Uh, and get your information out. If you're calling in right now, we'll get that information out real quick. Uh, Battle Road is also hosting uh, a precision rifle sniper course uh, on uh, November 10th through the 15th. That's five days. This is a five-day course, and uh, I went through the course in April. And I'm telling you, it is a great course. Uh you're going to get uh, just the right amount of classroom, followed by practical application. Uh, you're going to get, uh, over the course of the five days, 
you'll be shooting approximately 500 rounds and uh, and you'll be learning to use all of the knobs, all of the mill dots, you'll be learning all of the uh, uh, your come-ups, your holdovers, your wind, uh, you'll learn a tremendous amount in those five days and uh, the cost for that is going to be $500. It's $100 a day. Let me tell you too about this, about the price where everybody gasps at uh, the price of $500. Listen, I checked all of the current uh, precision rifle sniper courses that are going on and the least expensive one I found was $225 a day, all right? At $500, and I don't know that we'll do it at this price again, but because ammunition is so expensive and because, once again, the, the course is going to be loaded down with a lot of uh, Battle Roads buddies, uh, we are keeping the price at $500 for this one. Uh, so, and the course is going to be taught by John Haas. Uh, for those of you guys not familiar with John, that is Bolt-On-71. And uh, John is an Iraq-Afghanistan veteran. Uh, he served in Iraq and Afghanistan. He served in Afghanistan on uh, the 10th Mountain uh, Divisions, uh, one of the kill teams. And uh, John is not just talking the talk. He has walked the walk. He has, he has worked as a sniper for the military, all right? And uh, while he was there in Afghanistan, he was awarded the Silver Stars <clears throat> for actions during a battle where he and his, uh, his 12 guys were ambushed on the top of a high mountain by 60 to 70 Taliban members, and they fought all day long and they lost several guys, including the platoon sergeant, uh, Sergeant Jared Monty. And Monty was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor <clears throat> for his actions that day. And John was awarded the Silver Star. Listen, I want to tell you another, uh, another note about this, too, uh, that I find... Uh, I don't know, I, I just found this out uh, a couple of months ago. And that is, uh, there's a song that uh, that my kids really like. And they always, when it comes to the radio, they always yell, turn it up, turn it up. Well, the country and watch a song. And it's called Driving Your Truck. And, uh, and you know, I listen to it. And it's a song about a father who who drives his son's truck. His son was deployed in Afghanistan and was killed, and the father drives the son's truck. The son had left the, the truck there at the father's house when he was deployed. He drives his son's truck, and it makes him feel closer to his son. Well, that song was written about uh, Sergeant Monty. Uh, that's uh, one of uh, John Hawes' guys on that was killed during the uh, the battle there in Gordesh in Afghanistan, <clears throat> and uh, I just thought that was was very interesting. 
Anyway, uh, let me see here. Area code 512. Is that you, Bullet? Yes, it is. Well, hey, guys, this is Rachel Malone, uh, Bullet on the forum. And Rachel is going to put out some information about uh, about a program that she runs uh, there on her farm. And, Rachel, tell us about uh, about the program you have coming up. Yes. Um, well, it's a girls' camp, and it's called Academy 31. Uh, the website is um, www.academy31.com or facebook.com slash academy31, just the numbers 3-1. And it's really it, it's a small event that I do with several of my friends. Last year, some of us were taking a day trip down to Fredericksburg, and in the car we started talking about just our different our unique different skill sets that we have. And we thought, well, how can we share this with other girls? Because um, each of us is kind of involved in something different. And so we came up with the idea of having a camp. And we had no idea if it would take off, but it was pretty um, pretty successful last year. We had girls flying in from different states, and we ended up with about six different leaders just coming in and sharing time with the girls. Um, so we're doing it again this year, um, changing it around a little bit. We're bringing a lot more guest speakers and guest instructors just so we aren't going to be quite as busy. Um, but the whole the premise of the camp really is is to help girls and to encourage girls to know the Lord. And so we really want them to seek God for themselves. But it's not just a conference where you sit down and have sessions. We do we do have speakers talking, but it's just a lot of practical hands-on things. We teach them life skills. And we try to teach things that we think they're going to use on an everyday basis, like or things that they'll, they'll, they will know need to know, not just some specialty fun items that they'll never use. So um, we, uh, we teach them some first aid, first aid scenarios, we teach them basic auto care, how to change a tire, how to maintain your car. Uh, we do we have elective classes like bread making, quilt making. We also have home business um, and uh, communication. I'm not sure if I already said that. So there's just there's a wide variety um, of of skills um, in addition to the speakers. So the camp is going to be held um, again. It's called Academy 31. It's going to be held in August. It's August 4th through 16th for two weeks. Um, including room and board for the two weeks. It's $500 right now. Um, this is an early bird special. It's going to be up on June 15th. So if you want that $100 discount per girl, then you want to register by then. And so it's Academy 31. Website is academy31.com. Academy31.com. Okay, guys, you heard this. And uh, I want to uh, I want to tell you that, uh, that Rachel – and uh, all of her buddies there, too, because I've met uh, a good number of them. Rachel is just a fantastic person, and uh, she is a great apple seed instructor. And uh, I'll tell you right now, I have no qualms about uh, sending my children uh, to be uh, guests at, uh, at the academy with Rachel. As a matter of fact, uh, I'd like to figure out uh, some way to do that whenever they get old enough. And uh, and I, I think this is a fantastic idea that you guys have. I was, going to, I was getting ready to say you should add in some courses on negotiation, but then as soon as I started to think about that, I realized that uh, women are already some of the best negotiators, uh, at least ones that I've known. But uh, it sounds like the courses that you were running are really great. Listen, I'll have you on the phone, too. Uh, I want to tell you that uh, I spoke to the folks uh, out at uh, uh, the Godfrey's. Yes. 
Uh-huh. And uh and we're going to set up a liberty seed there and uh and I'll talk to to you about that because I would like for you to come there with me. Uh oh, yeah. to the Liberty Seed. You said that you you're familiar with the Godfrey's, right? Yeah, I've actually been to their farm. We have we have a lot of mutual friends. So. Right, and they have a they have a good working relationship with uh, with a lot of uh, local farmers, and uh, they also have they are part of the homeschool network. Right. And uh, right. And so that's what they're going to do. They're going to invite the their uh, homeschooling folks with them, and uh, we're going to put on a liberty seed, and then. Uh, I also told them that uh that we will work with getting a <clears throat> putting up putting together an apple seed for them, their families, their employees and all the rest of the folks uh that they want to drag in and we'll put on an apple seed for them too. So oh, nice. I imagine I'll need your I need your help for that too, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely count me in for that. Okay, well, great. Well, listen, uh, do you have anything else that uh, that you would like to get out? Um, No, that was really it for me. All right, well, thank you, Rachel. Thank you very much. All right. Hello. Yes, Wayne? Yes, sir. Hey, how are you doing? This is uh, Michael Adam with... uh, the Rifleman Radio Show. Uh, I think that uh, the uh, call screener. I think he's having some uh, some difficulties. Uh, he's okay. uh, out in the middle of nowhere in New Mexico, and uh, and so I think he's got popped off the line. So here I am. I'm calling you in right now, folks. This okay. is uh, Wayne Thompson, our guest tonight. Wayne has been uh, in law enforcement for over ten years. Uh, he is. Uh, uh, he is a patrol officer at uh, in a Texas town, and uh, he has also been working for security, did the uh, pulling security duty in South Texas oil fields for quite a while, and he's been speaking uh, at uh, different parts of the country about the problems that we have with, uh, with the Texas-Mexico border. So, Wayne, uh, yes, welcome sir. to the show. Thanks for having me. It's a, p- a pleasure to be here. And uh, um, just real quickly before we get started, um, I'd, I'd just like to say uh, here in Houston, we we just buried four brave firefighters uh, that died tragically. Um, they were laid to rest yesterday, so our, our, our hearts go out to their family. And secondly, thank you to all the veterans who have served our country today, especially being June 6th. Um, we remember D-Day and our World War II veterans. Thank you, sir. Yes, we've got uh, we've got fewer and fewer of those guys around, and it won't be long before we don't have any anymore. And uh, and that's going to be a sad day. But today is uh, let's see, the sixth. This is the second day, and we're on the beaches on the fourth, right? Yes, yes, uh, operation the operation of guns. Yes, and so we are, um, as you said, we are um, definitely losing uh, those veterans. Of course, we have many more that uh, 
ever place them in, in other wars and, and conflicts that are just as dangerous and, and perilous. But uh, we certainly can uh, give thanks to those guys for uh, doing that and, and the fact that we can speak English today. So, Right. Uh, Wayne, I, I started uh, talking a little bit uh, about the 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 problems that we're, we've had and we've been going through. But but first, if you if if you would like to uh, uh, if I didn't uh, do enough of the introduction for you, can you just tell us uh, a little bit about what you have going on right now? Sure, absolutely. Um, you, you definitely touched on it. Uh, I'm a, a Texas Master Peace Officer. I've been certified as a peace officer both in Texas and California. Um, I hold many uh, advanced certifications in law enforcement and have, have been in law enforcement for um, about 12 years and in public service for almost 20. Uh, my history includes uh, being a police officer, deputy sheriff, firefighter, paramedic, and I've also been um, in the Texas military forces, both in the Army National Guard and the Texas State Guard. Um, I have uh, some knowledge, uh, definitely more, more than the average person of border uh, operations. I spent uh, a little over two, uh, two and a half years in South Texas area working safety and security for a major oil company, and in that uh, in that job, I worked very closely with many federal law enforcement agencies, specifically the Border Patrol, and I've been um, deployed to the border um, <clears throat> three times as a guardsman. So that gives you a little bit of a background uh, on my experience down there. Okay, and uh, I know that uh, I know that you're working with uh, different groups, and uh, and you've been working with uh, uh, the Republican Party. Correct. In yes, area. I, I have and, had. Uh, uh, um, sorry to catch off there. Yes, I have had uh, the opportunity uh, as a former candidate for constable in Fort Bend County, Precinct Three. Fort Bend County is one of the fastest growing uh, counties in the nation right now. And uh, subsequently, uh, although I was districted out of my precinct due to redistricting and the census, I was uh, elected by executive committee as the precinct chair for 3113. Um, so as such, I've been able to do several public speaking engagements, and uh, I've been honored to do a couple uh, radio shows and yours included tonight regarding uh, both Second Amendment rights and, and border uh, issues. Right. Well, I was telling folks a little bit earlier that uh, that the United States has uh, almost 2,000 miles of right. border, about uh, 1,969 miles of border that we share with uh, with other nations, with Canada and Mexico. Now, of that uh, 1,969 miles, Texas carries the largest portion of that. Uh, of that border, the yes. Texas border is about uh, a little over 1,200 miles of that. Uh, it's the longest international border in the nation. And yes. in Texas, we have uh, we have tw about 20 legal crossing points between mm -hmm. Texas and Mexico. There's 20 legal crossing points. Legal, but, right? Right. But there are there are thousands of other Ill illegal. Uh, Crossings uh, all up and down the border. Uh, yes. 
every day. Uh, right. And this includes uh, this includes uh, I was like, like I said with total folks earlier. This includes just folks that are uh, they want to come to America and they want to get a job. They want to they want to get a job that pays uh, you know five or six dollars an hour versus mm-hmm. them in Mexico getting uh, twenty or thirty cents an hour or no job. And you know the majority of them are are folks that. Uh, they're just trying to have, to make a better life for themselves, and you know, on one hand, you look at that and you say, "Well, you know, that's not that's not bad." They're just trying to get a better life for themselves, but it's right. causing tremendous problems for us. The other problem is is that uh, those aren't the only folks that are coming across. Uh, exactly, we have all kinds of smuggling. Uh, that's coming across the border. Why don't you? I, I've been talking long enough here, Wayne, and I got you to call in so you could talk. Tell us about. Uh, tell us about the the folks that are crossing the border sure. illegally from Mexico and the United States. Uh, you know, you hit on two uh, two very good points. There are uh, good and decent people that are trying to get away from a very horrible, dangerous situation. Um, in their country, and uh, they are uh, there are some that are looking for a better life and uh, for work and a, and a place for their family and to raise their family and children safely. We certainly can't blame anyone for doing that. Um, all of us, as they say, came from somewhere, and uh, you know, I I certainly encourage people to utilize the legal methods and procedures to gain a better life and citizenship. It's something that my great-grandparents did as well as many other uh, folks here in in America. So you do have that aspect of it. Um, However, unfortunately, the the second one that you touched on, I believe, is uh, becoming more so the case. The area that I worked in in South Texas pretty much spanned between uh, Laredo, Uvalde, um, those areas there, um, and not all the way up to um, El Paso, but uh, I can tell you that what we're seeing or what we saw there at the time was an influx of um, drug uh, activity, drug crossings, uh, using people as uh, drug mules and and weapons. And um, the fact is, when you see someone that is dressed in black BDU clothes, carrying a black duffel bag, um, they are not coming here for work. Uh, they are right. employed by, by someone uh, for drugs or weapons. And in that corridor, as as the Border Patrol will tell you, is one of the most active for drugs and, and guns, unfortunately. So you do have the two. Um, but uh, but sad to say that I think that, that most of it now has gotten to a point where uh, the majority of it has become illegal activity. There are people that are that are looking for a better life. Um, however, uh, you know we do have methods in place for that. So I, I hope that kind of answers your your question there. I, I can say from firsthand experience that uh, that the uh, the drugs and the guns and the human trafficking for um, uh, sexual um, exploitation as well as uh, forced labor is also a serious concern here as well. Right. And uh, and like we were saying, I mean, you can't blame a person for wanting to to try and better their life. 
if I was in uh, Mexico living yes. and dealing with that, I'd, I'd probably be doing the same thing. We, we the would only be, problem with that, that no is, is that is that it is not the right way to do it, and it is causing uh, tremendous, huge problems across the United States. And if it was yes. just those people, uh, then we might be able to we might be able to figure out some way to to deal with it. I don't know. But it's not right. just those folks. Yeah, and it's not. I was going to say you're you're absolutely right. You know that 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 is uh, unfortunately not the bulk of it. And uh, you know we we have seen uh, if you speak to um, any sheriff down there, uh, any local or state law enforcement authority, they will probably give you the same information. The information breakdown comes from them uh, from the federal level who seems to uh, kind of ignore the problems that are going on. We had some very good sheriffs down there. Sheriff Ziggy, uh, who has now since retired, um, would would tell you flat out that there's a huge problem that's being overlooked. Um, and, and you know, the, uh, the federal government seems to uh, ignore that. But uh, there are good people. There is a process in place. Uh, you know, the, the process does need to be updated and streamlined. Um, there is a huge logistical nightmare underway right now as far as what we do with the people that are in the United States illegally already. And, and of course, you could talk for hours about that. But um, I think, as you touched on, really what we're getting now is uh, more criminal-based. We are seeing the drugs, the guns, the smuggling, the violence that's crossing over the border. And, uh, you know, everything from uh, stolen vehicles to, to people being... Um, murdered, kidnapped, and, and we've even had, you know, uh, many times where American citizens have been killed or kidnapped and even brought across the border and held. Uh, right. Hostage. Right. The And I don't, we're not even going to try and talk about what, uh, <laughs> what the, what the Mexicans can do to figure out their mess, because I don't know. Problem is, is that uh, the, the money from drugs, from the illegal drug trade is so great. There's such a huge volume of money pouring into Mexico that these guys are, uh, they're billionaires and uh, and they can just about do whatever they want inside the country. Right. Uh, corruption is has run rampant. And, you know, Mexico, even back in... Uh, uh, the first time I went to Mexico, I guess, was back in 1970, I think. And mm-hmm. uh, even then, it was, you know, it, it was considered uh, you you could you could uh, slide the an officer, you know, five bucks to to get out of a traffic right. ticket when you parked your car somewhere to go eat dinner. Uh, the, the guys came up and said, uh, "Hey, we'll watch your car, you know, for three dollars. We'll make sure that nobody does anything to it." And uh, and yeah, you paid them the three dollars because if you didn't, those were the guys that were going to do something to it. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So you know, and I'm not saying that that all the Mexicans are corrupt. Don't get me don't don't think that that's what I'm saying because I'm not. Because right. the other thing I found was anytime I was down there, uh, the people that I met, the you know the regular everyday folks, were some of the the kindest and uh, uh, the most hospitable. 
folks I've ever met in my life, opening their house to you, uh, feeding you, uh, you know, even strangers, you know, feeding Absolutely. you and and, uh, and and making you like an instant member of the family. It was, it's always been fantastic, you know, when, yeah. I've, when I've gone down and, uh, and visited in Mexico. <laughs> Nonetheless, we have these problems now, and, I'm, and a large portion of the problem is because uh, immigration, other than going through the the process, which is already set in place, and remember, both Wayne Wayne has already said it, and I'll say it now too. I am not against immigration from Mexico. Right. All right. Uh, right. There is a right. process in place. There's a way for it to be done legally. You you put in your applications. And uh, then they are studied. They want to make sure that you're a, a decent person, that you're not a felon or a criminal that's coming to our nation. And uh, and once it's approved, then you're okay to, uh, to immigrate to the United States. There's a process in place. And a lot Absolutely. of folks are sitting in that line. They're doing it the right legal way. And it may take uh, a little bit of money and it may take a little bit of time, but the process is there. And you can't just uh, you can't just jump out of the line and do it, and especially in the numbers that it's being done. Uh, right. The illegal immigrant population in the United States is estimated to be at about 20 million illegals. Mm-hmm. And uh, but almost anyone that uh, that is doing statistics will tell you that they believe that that number is on the very, very low side. That there is a yeah. much greater number than 20 million. That is a lot of people, folks. Uh, the state of Texas has 22 million people, so it would be like if every if if the whole state of Texas uh, got up and came across the border, and uh, and was looking for a place to live and work, <clears throat> and uh, and even if every one of them were good folks, it's still causing a a huge burden on our nation uh, by the. Uh, by the amount of money that it takes to provide services to the to the yes. folks who have come here illegally. Now, there's also the dark side of that, and uh, just like Wayne was saying earlier, we have we have a huge problem with illegal trafficking, with smuggling on the border, and we have billions of dollars of illegal drugs coming into the country. And because of that amount of money, there is also a tremendous amount of violence. Now, in Mexico, uh, I believe the number of folks killed in the last six years, I believe it's running at about 12,000 folks a year. I think there was almost 70,000 people killed in drug-related cartel violence. That's a lot of people. Yes, Yes, absolutely, a large number, and um, you know the uh, where I live in the Greater Houston Harris County area, you are somewhat insulated from the daily inundation of news regarding the violence across the border. So I feel like many people um, in the United States and and the border states. Once you get more than a couple hours away from any border crossing, whether that's you know in um, Texas or 
California, New Mexico, Arizona, you, you are probably pretty well insulated from the daily news stories. Um, however, I can tell you, if you turn on the news in Laredo, or you pick up a newspaper in Laredo or Eagle Pass, uh, very often the same place where you can get your local city newspaper will also have a copy of the nearest um, town, Nuevo Laredo, or, or the nearest sister city across the border of their paper. And I can tell you that every day there are pictures of beheadings, uh, this body dismemberment, uh, violence, and, and that's what these newspapers consist of. Uh, you don't see that in, in Houston or Austin or Dallas. Uh, you, you're not going to see that because it just simply doesn't make it that far. You're not going to hear about it on the news. But um, I can tell you, just like you said, these are these are daily occurrences, not once a day, but hundreds of times a day. And uh, these are just happening miles uh, from from Texas in our case, but miles from the border. Um, and uh, it is just horrific. Um, you know this. Yeah, you know we had uh, uh, remember uh, a while back, uh, Nick Burke, the reporter. Remember, he mm -hmm. got yep. uh, his head cut off by the Taliban, and there was just a yep. a hue and cry all across the United States. Oh my gosh, you can't believe it! Now right. in Mexico, it's a common occurrence: hundreds of heads cut off. As a matter of fact, uh, and I didn't get this from our news. Our news, news, the news in the United States will not cover this for some reason, which mm -hmm. I find absolutely bizarre. Uh, right? They just they don't cover it. And no. you would think that somebody that somebody getting onto the freeway in the middle of rush hour and stopping with a dump truck and dumping out a truck full of heads on the middle of the freeway in Mexico, right? Uh, you think that would make the news here, but it didn't. That's it what, doesn't. Yeah. That's what they're doing there. They're they're killing. They're, they've killed more people uh, in the last six years. Then we lost in ten years of war in Vietnam. Uh, yes. They, the violence is absolutely uh, horrific. Uh, and absolutely, absolutely, it, it's 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 tragic. It happens daily. It happens to uh, innocent civilians there. It happens to law enforcement personnel. It happens to their families. To reporters who report on the situation. Um, you have you can see many uh, reporters from Mexico seeking asylum uh, in the United States now because of what they have reported on with the drug cartels and and their targets too. So, right if they if they put a story about it in the news, the cartel cartel members go to their home and kill them, or they kill yep. their family, they kill their children. Uh, right. They, so they don't they, but and I can't believe. Uh, that I really have a lot of respect for a lot of the the law enforcement and the the reporters in Mexico because a lot of them they do it anyway they report anyway knowing that they're going to become targets and they'll probably be killed for it a lot of the law enforcement there's a lot of corruption but not yes. every uh, law enforcement officer in Mexico is corrupt not by a long shot they're right. There are thousands of good and honest law enforcement guys, but they also get killed all the time. Every day in Mexico, 
somewhere there are law enforcement officers that are killed every day, and and it, it's it, it's just an unbelievable war that is going on right there, right on our border, and and it has been completely ignored by the media. Uh, and, and, and yes, absolutely, and and you know to call it a war is an absolute uh, correct term in my opinion. You know, not only do we have the the drugs and the uh, weapons, um, but, you know, we also know that um, the border or lacks uh, enforcement or the inability to, to properly secure the border has resulted in not just drug dealers and weapons dealers crossing the border, but uh, uh, wanted terrorists have across the border as well, just simply walking across um, in, in unsecure locations. Uh, so th this is not even just about um, drugs and guns. It goes much further uh, beyond that. Yeah, absolutely. Look, if I get on an airplane, myself and my kids, if I get on an airplane to go to, uh, uh, just to go over like say, to Louisiana, uh, I'm going to get uh, I'm going to get x-rayed. I'm going to get molested. Uh, they're going to pat me down. They're going to, they're going to feel of, uh, my privates, you name it. They're going to put me through a, a stringent test. Uh, and yet they don't do anything. Uh, I don't want to say they don't do anything because that, that sounds like a disparaging remark against uh, our border patrol officers, because they're working their butts off. But right. the government is not addressing the issue of border security, because just like you said, if I was a terrorist that wanted to come in to this nation, I wouldn't, I wouldn't try and fly into the United States. I'd just either fly in or take a boat to Mexico, and then I would just walk over. <laughs> and uh, I've spoken to plenty of border patrol agents, and... Uh, and they will tell you right off the bat that it's happening right now. They found plenty of evidence. Well, for they've also been catching guys, but they've also even before that they were finding plenty of evidence of. Uh, uh, I was seeing, I was looking at pictures of clothing that had been dumped there on the border uh, with uh, uh, Russian uh, tags in it, Arabic tags, Chinese, you name it, yes. uh, of folks that are coming into the country uh, illegally. Through our through our southern borders, at least that, that I'm aware of. Now I know we have the same problems in the northern borders, but sure. And I were just talking about the southern borders because that by itself is a big enough problem just to, in Texas. Uh, and while we're talking about clothes, uh, let me mention too. If you guys look uh, on the the show's page, if you look at the uh, the radio show page when it comes up. Uh, there's some photographs there, just a few photographs of uh, that I posted there on illegal immigration photos, and uh, in a couple of photos, you'll see some of the uh, environmental damage that has, been, that has gone on. Uh, we have now all along the Texas border, and not just in Texas, but in Arizona, New Mexico, and California too, we have hundreds of sites now that are environmental, uh, there's several environmental Superfund sites that are areas that have been uh, that have been piled up so much 
with trash and biological uh, matter and stuff like that, that they've been declared Environmental Protection Agency Superfund sites. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a lot of this is going on in our national parks. They're crossing over through national parks. And and if you would see some of the photographs of what's going on, now I'm not just talking about a few beer cans jumped down. I'm talking about right. a couple of acres uh, or more, uh, and in some places it may be uh, half a mile long, of uh, piles and piles of trash and clothing. <clears throat> and, of course, like I said, biological matter. I'm not going to go any further than that. You can use your own imagination. Uh, and it is it is destroying uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the areas there, and it's it's horrific. If you if you Google uh, illegal alien uh, trash, then it'll take you uh, it'll take you to thousands of pages, and you can just go to the images section, and you you won't believe what it looks like. You, you just it, it is mind numbing. Uh, so the environmental cost is pretty horrific too. Uh, yeah. I was talking yeah, to some guys uh, down south. We have property down south, and of course, uh, and our our property is in, uh, is in uh, Freer, and uh, that's only about uh, what is it, about forty or fifty miles from the border. Mm-hmm. And uh and of course while we've been there I I I've run into the guys quite often uh crossing across our property there and uh, they used to break into the uh, to the trailer that we had there. We had a you know big double wide trailer. They used to break in all the time. Now they didn't steal the T V or or the clothes, or anything like that. They, but they, they took uh, food and water right. from it, right. and eventually we just started leaving it open, so they would stop breaking the doors to get in, and we put water and food and stuff out on the front porch so that uh, they would stop breaking in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is going on all up and down the the properties, and uh, I believe I was. Uh, I was talking to another law enforcement officer, uh, one of the county sheriffs in one of the counties there on the border, and he said that it was caught that the the cost to his county was really huge too because they they were getting almost a hundred bodies a year uh, in that county. Now, some of them were murder victims who had been murdered along the way. Uh, Either they they smarted off to the coyotes who were bringing them in, or the coyotes raped and killed some of their customers. Uh, But the majority were folks who just, they they perished because it was a long walk, and they died from heat exposure or something like that, heat exhaustion or stroke. And he said it cost his, it cost his county, was uh, was bankrupting them because each of those bodies cost almost a thousand dollars for them to process. Mm-hmm. So if you have a hundred bodies in a year, it means a hundred thousand dollars or more of your uh, of your county's budget is going 
to processing and burying the bodies of illegal aliens. Right. This yeah, is one, one county. Exactly. And these are counties that are already uh, very stretched. They have uh, very limited resources, um, low pay for their county employees, including the uh, deputies and, and local law enforcement. And, right. and you're right, the, the, the border crossing issue is not just one piece to it. It has so many aspects. The, there, there is a cost in human life. There is a cost in, in uh, financial resources and manpower um, and environmental. Uh, this is not a one-issue problem. And then uh, when they get over here and have children and, and other things, and it taxes a medical system and uh, welfare system, and um, you know this is not a, a one single single thing. And the good people that are coming uh, are trying to come over. The, the good ones, they are also victims because, as you said many times, these uh, coyotes are mistreating them or. Uh, abusing them, uh, they might be, you know, get them halfway and then charge them double or else they're going to kill them or kill their family members. Um, you know, many times they're brought uh, halfway or not all the way and they're just simply dumped in the middle of nowhere and that's where you find these um, folks that have died due to exhaustion, dehydration, etc. Uh, children, you know, the same thing occurs to children. It's not just like adults either. And, um, you know, I have seen it. Uh, I have seen it first firsthand, and uh, yeah, there is a huge uh, multi-level uh, issues with uh, with uh, illegal crossings, and uh, and you know, then we have the aspect of um, you know how many Mexican federal troops and law enforcement have crossed over our border to guard uh, drug shipments or weapon shipments, and um, you know, our border patrol agents and law enforcement agents that are getting attacked on the United States side. So, um, just so a, the media will not tell you about that either. You don't hear anything about that. But you're right. Yes. Uh, according to the, the records that are that are open, uh, okay. there's been about 250 uh, incursions onto American soil across the border that they've recorded uh, since 1996. And these are just the ones that are recorded because I can tell you also that from talking to the Border Patrol, and I've spoken to quite a few Border Patrol agents about this, there's a lot that aren't reported. Right. And uh, right. You know, I don't know if you guys remember uh, just recently, now this did make a little bit of noise, uh, not much, but it did make a lot of a little bit of noise when the uh, when the American soldiers, when the guard units had been deployed, and there was a guard unit uh, that was down watching the border and surveillance. And they said, "Hey, we've got uh, we've got some guys coming, and uh, they're all armed. They're dressed in military clothing, and they're they're moving in a military fashion." And right. uh, they're asking what to do, and they were told to retreat, get out of there. And right. uh, that was that was really hard for a lot of folks to follow. To say we've got we got our American troops down the border, and and they've been told to retreat, 
from people that are crossing. And right. that was really hard for a lot of folks to take. Um, that, that's not the first time our military has had their hands tied, for sure. That uh, is a sad situation. You know, the uh, when these uh, Mexican federal troops, uh, federal law enforcement, uh, many other groups, and of course, most of these major drug cartels were former law enforcement or or right. special operations in the Mexican military. But, um, you know, when these folks cross over the border, uh, this is, is, in my view, a, a, a borders on a wartime act. And, you know, we must respond as, as such because, you know, we have American citizens who... Um, you know, have have been kidnapped, have been taken across the border, have been held hostage. We know we know this. We've had uh, the rescues before, and you know we have um, American farmers and ranchers who are um, in danger. And um, you know, I, I I would venture to say that if the Russian military crossed over into into um, uh, Montana or something across the Canadian border that we would deal with that a certain way, and I'm not sure why we don't deal with it that way at the Mexican border. But, um, right, we've had, uh, there have been uh, at least two cases that I know of where the uh, where the folks crossing the border who were, who were federal troops yes. uh, held border patrol agents at gunpoint. And uh, until their shipments had made it through or gotten away, and uh, and it just keeps on going. And I, I'm like you; I, I don't understand why we're not doing more. And I think uh, I think it falls into the same category as uh, you know there there if you once you recognize a problem. And you point to it and you say, okay, there is a problem right here. Now you've got two choices. You can either do something about it or you can ignore it. And I think that uh, for the most part our government has been choosing the path of just trying to ignore it, to ignore that problem. Because if you look at it, uh, if you look at it, the only fix is going to be a huge uh, nation-changing fix because... I can guarantee you right now, if you wanted to stop the border uh, incursions, uh, you could you could probably do it fairly easily by deploying troops to the border. However, Absolutely. once you do that, the troops deployed to the border, I can guarantee you, at some point, they're going to start shooting and killing people. Right. And, uh, and when they do that, then that's going to lead to... Uh, a, I can I could see how it could very easily lead to open conflict, open warfare between the United States and Mexico, and I'm sure that that's something that uh, the government doesn't want to to have to deal with. I mean, right? Uh, it's just uh, it's a problem that they don't want to deal with, and and there are, our representatives are very good at ignoring problems. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's been ignored and. You know, I'll be the first to say that um, you know I'm not happy with uh, the way our current uh, administration is dealing with it. However, 
uh, I won't put the blame solely on this administration. We have been turning a blind eye oh, yeah, to no. this for some time. So it's uh, it's unfortunate that uh, several administrations on both sides of the the house have um, every uh, administration. Have, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Everyone that's everyone that's ever been in has. Uh, has ignored it or made, I think, a bad decision about it. You, know, you had Reagan giving the uh, uh, the amnesty to the uh, to the folks, and that was supposed to be like the one-time thing. All right, we're going to do this, and then and then no more, and we're going to fix it, and nothing. Right. Uh, so so they're they're very good at. Uh, at ignoring it. Oh uh, yes, yeah. And 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 the government's good about ignoring a lot of things, and and this is one of the major ones. And we have, um, you know, we've just consen- continually seen this get worse and worse. And and part of the problem is, is people don't really know. Uh, thank goodness we have, um, you know, radio shows like yours and and some others, and and um, you know, some groups that are keeping this. Um, in the in the news, I guess you'd say, but once you get away from those border towns, once you get into your major cities, you just simply will not hear about it, and it's, it's unfortunate because uh, I think if people knew more of what was going on, there would be there would be much more outrage, and uh, they would be pressing for our government officials to take some action. And in every the whole system needs an overhaul. There's no doubt about that, but. We have to start with securing our borders. You know, we can go to war with as many countries as, as uh, you know, we need to. But when we're letting the bad guys come in and walk in and walk across right here at home, it's pointless to go overseas and try to deal with problems when we haven't secured our own borders. And that's southern border, northern, you know, any one of them. We we've got to be able to do that. So, right. Well, the the violence, as we were talking about earlier, the violence on the southern side of the border has risen to absolutely horrific levels with the uh, tens of thousands of murders, the open warfare uh, on the streets uh, of the Mexican cities, uh, the gang warfare. But right now, uh, or at least uh, historically, it has stopped at the border. Mm-hmm. You know, it has stopped... Uh, you know, right just on the southern side of the border. But but it's starting to leak over, and right. the leakage is growing more and more. Now, certainly it's – I'm sure that there is, a, there is word from the top that says, guys, don't, don't mess with our clients. Don't, don't mm-hmm. go over there and mess up uh, the deal that we have or kill people over there because those are our clients. Those are all the people that are paying us billions of dollars for the cocaine and marijuana and stuff like that. So we can't go over there and jack with them. We don't want to make, as long as we only kill people on this side of the border, then uh, it won't even get in the newspapers over there. But the minute we start killing uh, gringos, we're going to be in trouble. But the violence has started to leak over. Uh, I've talked to quite a few folks uh, in border cities, and uh, and the violence is starting to leak over. And I'll tell you one thing too that uh, <clears throat> that 
if folks think that it can't, the same kind of thing can't happen here on the north side, then then they are very poorly informed. The right. only thing that's stopping the violence from crossing over right now are the bosses telling them not to. If uh, if they wanted to, they could bring it straight across the border, and there's nothing we could do about it. Uh, right. Yeah. No, there'd be no difference in the folks in Mexico. We're not we're not prepared to handle anywhere near the level of violence uh, that uh, that could be brought to bear uh, on this side of the border any more than the the Mexicans are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely right. And I think the uh, as you said, it is already starting to spill over. We can see this in bits and pieces. Um, different places, and again, most folks aren't going to be aware of those things, but if you spend any amount of time down there, um, you know, you can find people that have been uh, terrorized, held at gunpoint, um, you know, their homes broken into while they were there, and uh, things have happened. Um, We have seen uh, the kidnappings, the the hostage taking, And, and you know, fortunately, and you said, yes, one of the key things is they, they just haven't decided to do that yet. Um, secondly, uh, and fortunately, we do have, um, and, and and they can only do so much, but thank goodness we have a strong, um, uh, good, strong people that are working in, in the Border Patrol, and I'm, I'm thankful to know many of them. Um, you know, these guys work horrible hours and, and just like in the military. And, um, you know, that is another reason why I think that um, we've kind of uh, been lucky enough to not have some of those things happen yet because we do have uh, good men and women out there that are that are holding the line as best they can, even though, even though some of their own bosses and the federal agencies they work for don't support what they're doing um, that, that are keeping us safe. And, and those people safe. Um, so I think that's another reason too. But but we're just we're just steps away. It would not take much. Uh, our law enforcement agencies are overextended. They're undermanned. They're underpaid. And this is all at the federal, state, and local level. And um, you know we they're too spread out. Uh, we hear about border patrol stations closing and and sequestration and other things that are just gradually eroding, and, and and when the timing's right, you're absolutely right, uh, these things are going to start to become a bigger problem for us. Right. And uh, the, uh, the spread of the Mexican drug cartels into America is happening right now um, at a level that is is unprecedented, and uh, which is another thing that uh, that you don't hear about. I mean, the the current media will be more than glad to spend hours uh, on some stupid story about uh, Sarah Palin, or they'll do uh, hours on Whitney Houston, or the, right. the least little thing. But if you start talking about the United States being infiltrated and being set up uh, by the Mexican drug cartels in almost a military fashion, you don't hear about it. You just don't hear about it. Uh, I was reading reports from a federal agency, and they were talking about how the 
cartels had set up uh, at a, a myriad of locations across the United States. They set up what amounted to a battalion and division level uh, communications and operations uh, headquarters. You know, we're talking about uh, like a, a house in a regular neighborhood that's been uh, set up uh, and being able to run, uh, uh, you know, multiple communication lines out of it, uh, along with, uh, uh, you know, maps and distribution centers, and uh, they're running it in a military fashion. And uh, Yes, yes, absolutely, Michael, you're right. And, uh, you know, folks, uh, we touched on a little bit earlier, but, you know, folks probably don't realize, or, or maybe they do, but uh, these organizations, these drug cartels are not, um, like what we have here. This is not your street corner drug dealer. These are highly organized paramilitary organizations, many of which were set up by former Mexican military and special operations forces and high, you know, uh, federal law enforcement, Mexican federal law enforcement agents. They are set up like a military force, like an army, and they have intelligence uh, operatives. They have uh, people that do infiltration, they have people that seek out, um, you know, information and, and, and that even come across the border and, and you know, uh, will gather information at a restaurant and talk to people to see who they can get to run the drugs back and forth. High level, this is not a fly-by-night operation. They operate like a military and like a uh, Fortune 500 business. And um, they utilize military tactics, weaponry, and uh, they're not hesitant to to use deadly force against anyone who gets in their way, no matter whether they're they're on accident or on purpose. So these are not street thugs. I mean, they are thugs, but they are not like what we think of here in the United States. Um, you know, if if you run across one of these groups or units in the desert, you you're going to have a military-style firefight, and um, and, and many of these guys are military trained, and they're receiving training from military or former Mexican military people. So, very serious situation. Right. From a uh, uh, from a federal report, it's talking about that right now, what they know, uh, there are Mexican cartels uh, residing in 1,200 American communities. This is in from 2011 data. Now that's up from 230 communities in 2008. So in the last, uh, it looks like it's uh, like it's almost doubling every year. 1,200 American communities that have uh, cartels' presence in them, and uh, and on the Mexican side, they they have gotten. Uh, high tech also you know in order to <clears throat> communicate they have to have cell towers they have to have cell towers and stuff to run their communications if they are you know if they're out in the wilderness and that's what they do they they uh the, the cartels now are they have their own companies and their own groups of guys that install uh cell towers for them to use and then they've got uh They've got guys, uh, you know, they've, they've, your, the road system in Mexico is uh, it's pretty elementary. 
You know, in a lot of places you have only only one road that you can get in, get out somewhere. They have the cell phone towers that they pay folks to put up, and then uh, the military, of course, is it will be tracking this. And when they find them, they destroy the cell phone towers. But uh, but they don't care because they just have another one put up somewhere else. Uh, sure. The military or the law enforcement comes after one of their labs or one of their uh, headquarters area. There is a person that, whose whose job is to sit down at the bottom of the uh, the road with a cell phone and call whenever uh, something's up, and then that uh, that allows the uh, the cartel to shut down that operation and get out of there before uh, before anyone is ever caught. And the military destroys the cell phone tower, no problem. Because next week they'll have another one up at another location. And uh, at, yeah. the the uh, uh, what I want to call it the sophistication of the cartels is one of the things that one of the federal agents I was talking to said that. Uh, they were so impressed by because the cartels have become extremely sophisticated in their uh, in the way that they do they uh, run their operations uh, as yes. far as communications. Yes. Uh, uh, the, like you were saying, everything is run in uh, in a military fashion, not just a regular military fashion, but in a special forces military right. fashion. Absolutely, and and one quick thing I'll add to that too, and uh, and I know you know, but you know many many folks probably don't get this either. They have um, young cartel members who are U.S. citizens join the United States military uh, for the sole purpose of getting in and getting intelligence and weapons and other things, and that is the only reason why they're joining the military. Now, I'm not saying this is the only, you know, we, we, we have many, many good troops. Obviously, I'm not attacking the military, but I'm just saying these, the Mexican cartels are so intricate that they are inserting people into the United States military who, you know, don't have criminal records, who are U.S. citizens, and they are becoming, you know, military police or military intelligence or, or weapons specialists, and they are routing weapons and, and uh, explosives and other things back to the cartels. This is a known thing. It is happening. And, uh, you know, that just shows you the level of sophistication when you are inserting moles and plants into another country's military force to to um, siphon uh, equipment and information to your operation. So highly skilled, very much like the special operations, and um, uh, yet another very serious problem that that we're experiencing. It's I wouldn't say widespread, but it's it, it is happening. So. Right, right, and uh, and right now, uh, as far as far as Texas, the Texas Department of Public Safety. Uh, reported uh, 22 killings and five kidnappings that occurred in Texas uh, at the hands of the Mexican cartels in uh, 2010 to uh, 2011. So that's not they're they're saying it's not that many in Texas, but this was like I said, this was 2010. I don't have any of the 
uh, any of the statistics for for now, but that's what uh, that is one that they feel are directly tied back to the cartels. Now there certainly uh, there certainly have no qualms about killing their own because, as we said earlier, there's about seventy thousand murders so far that the cartel has uh, uh, has been responsible for in Mexico, 70,000. And a great number of those, as we said earlier, are public officials, law enforcement, uh, folks in the media. Uh, they even uh, assassinated uh, senators and congressmen and vice presidents, uh, yes. you name it. Uh, they've done it. And uh, and I don't know I don't know what the solution would be. I know that a lot of folks talk about uh, about drug legalization uh, and uh, saying that uh, that would be a way to jerk the rug out from under the feet of the cartels. And I certainly agree. That 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 would throw a big wrench in the uh, in the operation. But listen, I got to tell you that uh, that making drugs legal is not the golden answer that a lot of folks feel it to be. What's your thoughts right. on? Uh, <laughs> well, I knew we'd get to this point, and. Uh, of course, uh, this is always a hotbed topic, especially for uh, um, political people like me and, and, and political candidates. So I, I don't know if I'll end up uh, eating my my words a few years from now, but uh, um, I certainly don't think the legalization of all drugs is the answer. Um, you know, the biggest one that comes up is uh, marijuana, of course. Um, that is a large amount of what the Mexican cartels deal with. Um, of course, they deal with other drugs too, but I think that's probably the most prolific and 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 widespread. Probably has the largest market, and um, you know I think it definitely needs to be considered as a possibility. Uh, that would be the one drug that I would uh, possibly say we need to look at um, uh, legalizing, and that would be the only okay. one. Um, you know, I think that we can safely say that there's been enough research and information that, you know, probably this is no worse than cigarettes or alcohol. And, you know, we started the same thing with tobacco and the same thing with alcohol many, many years ago, and it went through the same turmoil, and eventually uh, they were legalized and taxed. Um and that was, you know, primarily to get rid of uh, the illegal market and bootlegging and things like that. Um, well, we can certainly look back at our own history for uh, prohibition, and we can see that uh, that making uh, alcohol, the, the sale and production of alcohol, illegal did not work at all. Matter of fact, right. that is what birthed the uh, the beginning of the organized crime syndicate. I mean, that's yes. where the money came from. They used that the huge amount of money that uh, that their smuggling brought in to bankroll all of their uh, other illegal uh, operations. 
And finally, right. uh, finally, the American citizens and everybody else realized this is never going to work, and uh, they reviewed the prohibition. You know, I kind of agree with you. I, I think that uh, that uh, folks they're already doing it. You know, they're already right. doing yeah. it right now. The only the only problem is is that the government's not getting the money, and the the huge amount of money that folks are paying to bankroll the illegal operations is it's just mind staggering. Whenever you yeah, come and on, it's going to no, go ahead. Go ahead, sir. Sorry about that. Well, I was just going to say, when you you see the pictures all the time, when you come up on a house and uh, you see a, a bedroom that is completely stacked full, floor to ceiling, with uh, American currency, uh, and there are hundreds of these houses, we're talking about even like 18 wheelers packed, packed floor to ceiling with American currency, then uh, then you, we know it's a huge problem. Uh and I can see, I could see maybe legalizing marijuana. Folks are they're already doing it anyway. Uh, but there's a lot of drugs that are truly horrifically dangerous. Uh, Mexico now controls over 80 percent of the meth trade in America. Right. And yeah, and clearly, uh, clearly the uh, you know that would be the only um, drug that I would even remotely consider. Um, legalizing and, and taxing and regulating. Um, clearly, all the other all the other ones are um, simply way too dangerous and, and lead to violence and, and killing. And you know, with marijuana, the, the, the people that are buying that, like you said, they're already doing it anyway. You make something like that legal, and that doesn't that's not going to make people run out and become uh, pothead, just like you know. People choose not to be alcoholic. People choose not to to, to drink. Just because it's legal doesn't mean they're running out to buy it. Um, you know, marijuana is 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 one of those things that I think we've already seen the the uh, the turn of the tide. In some states, I'm not saying that makes it right, but as a law enforcement official, um, I don't like it necessarily. I don't care for it, but I, I think we are going to reach that point, and we exert and expend a lot of resources and manpower chasing marijuana when there are far worse things going on that lead to violence and killing and murder and, and, and people dying on the roadways and, um, you know, people not going to work and being productive members of society. Uh, marijuana does not seem to be one of those those drugs that, that does all that. Um, you know, that being said, of course, me saying this is certainly not advocating that anyone do it, and, and I don't approve of it, uh, of doing it, but I think from a legal aspect, um, we, we we probably need to look at that so that we can relieve law enforcement and federal agencies to tackle the more serious drugs and violence and, and border issues. You know, it just simply doesn't make sense to be chasing marijuana around... Um, and expending resources and manpower, especially when we're already stretched on that. Right, so. right. And there's plenty. Of, you don't have to worry about that because there are plenty of other offenses uh, yeah. that are tied in with illegal immigration. Uh, yeah. As of, uh, let's see, as of 2013, it says that uh, 95% of all outstanding warrants for murder 
for homicide were targeting illegal aliens. The illegal aliens had uh, had all of the had all of the outstanding warrants there. Mm-hmm. Sam, is that uh, is that you on the line there? Yeah. I've this, this, this is Scott. I got tied up. I missed part of the show. I'm sorry to jump in a little bit late. Oh, okay. Is this is this you? Yes, no, sir. I'm not yes, gonna, sir. I'm not gonna. This is a uh, this is a friend of ours that uh, I'd asked to call in. Uh, I'm not going to to use any names or say anything about uh, about anything. But I will tell you that uh, the individual who I asked to call in. Does have a uh, a working knowledge of uh, problems on the border, and uh, uh, and I want to thank you for calling in. We got uh, Wayne Thompson is on the line with us too. He's our guest tonight. And uh, uh, let me ask you this: I'm just going to call you uh, Bill. Bill, uh, uh, if you've heard anything about what we're talking, we're talking about problems on the uh, Texas-Mexico border. And uh, like I said, I will say that you have some some experience with that. What do you think is uh, is one of the biggest problems that, uh, that, that law enforcement faces on the Texas-Mexico border? Well, I would say right now uh, I've, I've been working here on the Texas border, southern border. I've been to California. I actually went to Iraq and work the Jordan-Syrian border of Iraq to help try to advise that mess over there to, as a transition to turn it over to the Iraqis after the invasion. What I've seen here in the last 15 years, the the change from when I first came in, there were less agents, and you could go out there and two guys could catch 50. And now it's become so organized with the use of cell phones, vehicles, GPS, you know, computer technology, Nextel phones, we have four times more agents. We have, but now we're relying more on technology and less on the boots on the ground, which we're seeing isn't working in Afghanistan for the troops. You have to have, you know, the human intelligence, the boots on the ground to to make any difference. And now with what's scary to me is law enforcement in Texas and should be concerning to everybody in the nation is I understand there's an immigration problem as far as the pathway for workers to come get visas, but when you put out promises of amnesty, at the same time you, you're, your presidential directives to release what they're considering a low-threat detainee so people are thinking, hey, I'm not going to get held even if I get caught. Right. And if I make it in and I get amnesty, I get to stay. So I see the perfect recipe for a human wave to start. I mean, it's been going on for a few months now where we'll catch people, detain them, and they're upset because they were told we're not detaining people. So why wouldn't they try to come? There's a They see a window of opportunity that's opening, and if they don't make it while that window's open, they might not be able to come two years from now. So, so you've, almost, seen a, you've seen a large influx then? It's over last year, it's 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 up a lot. Texas three years ago was kind of quiet. Arizona had, I guess, the floodgates open, and now it's shifted back to South Texas, and it's 
it's concerning the amount of, of human traffic being put inside tractor trailers, putting people at high risk that the smugglers don't care. It's about money. And so, and then and it's a lot of money, trailers, right? It's oh, always yeah. cost a lot of money for somebody to to get across the border. Like uh, three or four thousand dollars, you've got to pay somebody to get across the border, right? I, I would say a lot of times it's up to five thousand. The family might pay a little bit up front, a few thousand, but then they have to work off the rest before they're debt free to the organizations. So you have five thousand ahead, and you put fifty in a tractor trailer. You know, geez, and that's if they're that's if they're lucky. That's if the bad guys hold up their end of the bargain and don't don't. Uh, and the process, the prosecution rate is also very low for let's say, for example, a tractor trailer driver because he can say, "Hey, I drove to Laredo, went to a fording company, picked up a trailer. It was sealed. I'm just picking up cargo. I have no idea what's back there." Right. So there's a deniability, which then the burden of proof is on the government, which is, is is the way it should be. The burden of proof is on the government to prove that they had knowledge. But then at right. the same time, you're talking about human beings locked. You know, the summers in South Texas get above 110 degrees. You put someone in a locked metal container with 50 other people. Right. You know, and Wayne, just, Wayne, you were going to say something? Yeah, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, they the uh, and that's if they're lucky. That's if they they get over here and, and the bad guys and the cartels and the and the and the coyotes, uh, you know, go by their original deal. And so many times you find that uh, they'll take them halfway or they'll take them some of the way, and and then they extort them for even more money that oh, yeah. either they don't have or or that you know they're they're going to to kidnap one of their children or something until they can they can pay this back. It's a terrible situation for them, and, and many times it's not as simple as just paying somebody one fee and coming over. Uh, it, it's usually a nightmare. <laughs> what? And well, this is uh, Wayne Thompson. Wayne's a, uh, uh, a law enforcement, he's working law enforcement for over the last 10 years, and he's working in uh, uh, providing security for the uh, oil fields in South Texas before that. <laughs> So I just wanted to let you know that uh, he's on the line with us, and that's who, uh, that's our guest tonight. Uh, yeah, the oil field boom has uh, also changed the work here because you have, before there was specific highways. Someone had to travel down the highway. Now there's oil field roads. Right. But also, route between here in Houston, here in Austin, San Antonio, that becomes a challenge because before, if there was a truck out there, you know, a white F-250, well, it it was a rancher or it wasn't. Now it could be right. a oil field, and there's a whole lot more activity yeah, on the border, good and bad. And the bad guys try to blend in with legitimate, you know, oil field boom down here. And what's also concerning is is the continued attempts to cut the budget for agencies like the Border Patrol, ICE, deportation, when you make a promise of amnesty, a promise you're not going to hold people, they're releasing aliens, and then on national media you type in Border Patrol budget cuts, and they're trying to cut 25% of our budget, which is from salaries directly, and salaries is overtime. So, you know, if you're in the middle of working, it's you get a phone call from your supervisor, hey, you guys need to come in. 
because we don't have the overtime to pay you. Right. Right. Well, well, Wayne and I, too, were talking uh, earlier before we got on, we were talking about how uh, if he or I wants to go on a flight and we want to take our family with us, then uh, we all get groped. You know, they, they, they do what borders on molestation uh, of your kids uh, before you can get on the plane. They're so, they're so worried about security, and yet, like you're saying, they, they <laughs> don't seem to be that worried about the, our borders, which are about as porous as they can be. Uh, as you guys, when I talked to, uh, I talked to some border patrol agents, uh, quite a few of them, because a lot of times my work with Appleseed will take me down to South Texas, and I'll tell you that when I was down there a while back, I was at a place called Far, and it's right there on the border. As a matter of fact, our range was right on the border. And uh, I climbed up to the top of the berm and uh, was looking across the border, and uh, one of the guys that was there, one of the federal guys, said, hey, hey, don't do that. He goes, get down from up there. And I go, why? He goes, man. Said somebody might just take a pot shot at you. I go, oh, you're kidding, right? I said they wouldn't really do that. He goes, no, they, they do it. Uh, and I was wondering uh, about what you have seen as far as, as an increase in violence uh, at the border on the south side and then on the north side. What what have you seen as far as the uh, the folks who are crossing illegally as their determination to uh, uh, to meet uh, or deal out violence on, on the north side of the border? I would say for me the biggest change I've seen on border violence as far as is agents' assaults have been more people willing to fight. Before, historically, there, there was a fear of law enforcement. And the last thing they're going to do is, is – is try to fight somebody in, in uniform. Right. And the the difference now is you'll have somebody, and it's almost, to me, wouldn't make sense. You have, you know, a six-foot-tall guy with a, a firearm, law enforcement or not, you run away from them, and there's more people challenging, throwing rocks, throwing bottles, you know, fighting, getting fistfights, trying to disarm agents and law enforcement on the border, which that's something historically when I first came in, I, I didn't see 15 years ago. You know, you saw somebody, they dropped whatever they had in their hands, and they ran. Right and now you have that chance of they might do something right in front of you to draw you out so five other guys can come behind you. So you have the fear of you never know when it's an organized cell with military training and a big problem in South Texas is, is cartels like Rosetta's that were trained by the U.S. military to be anti-narcotics in Mexico, and they joined the other side. Right. So similar to the original Taliban that was trained by American CIA that turned on us, we have groups like Rosetta's that were trained by U.S. Special Forces that are now tactically trained. Right. Right, yeah. And that's one of the things that Wayne was saying earlier is that uh you've got the the folks that uh are volunteering to take training uh, even in the American military or like you were saying uh volunteering to take training from 
uh, American law enforcement when they are members of the Mexican law enforcement of the federal agency there, and then turning around and using uh, that training in order to facilitate uh, the drug smuggling. Uh, what about, uh, like I was saying, the the violence on the south side of the border is just absolutely horrific. Uh, if you got to uh, most almost, families, if you got to families that are from the border area, that their moms from the border, their grandparents are from the border. You talk to any big family, and every family, and it's not urban legend, every family you know of at least one person they know that, yeah, they went to Mexico and we just never saw them again. Just, you know, talk to most families have a story about, well, yeah, cousin so-and-so, they were in Mexico because they worked on both sides of the border, and we don't know what happened to them. You know, it's, it's, it's a common thing, and it doesn't really go reported much. You know, yeah, you have instances exactly, like in, that's exactly what in Wayne Juarez, and I was Mexico. talking about earlier. Right. Scary, right. Like in Juarez, Mexico, I guess it was maybe two years ago, there was, I guess it was a pregnant embassy worker in Juarez, Mexico, was gunned down in the middle of the day in the street. U.S. embassy worker, pregnant female, gunned down. Anywhere else in the world, if an embassy worker, you know, is gunned down in front of the embassy, it's an uproar, but it happens in Mexico, which well, is part of the drug violence. You know, I don't understand just as as an American, as a Texan, how that's those aren't acts of terrorism. You know, we're using drones all over the world, but right here, I guess it's not terrorism. I don't, I don't you know, I guess right. that's above my area of law enforcement, but you know, at what point is it terrorism? In a direct well, listen, to the me, American people. Let me ask uh, both of you guys this. Uh, we had a question a little bit earlier, and Wayne, we uh, let me ask you first. Uh, sure. One of the guys in the chat room has asked, uh, "What uh, what do you guys feel is the greatest threat involving illegal border activity to the homeowners and the landowners who are uh, who are living down on the front lines? We're living along our twelve hundred mile border." What's the greatest threat to the landowners? Well, I, I think that the greatest threat is uh, certainly, um, you know, there are many minor acts, like you said. You know, people will come over. They may steal food or, or, or water. Um, you know, those are all very minor things. But, but the greatest danger is to their lives and their family. Uh, it is going to get to a point, and it, and it has. You just don't hear about it where these folks are, are terrorized, kidnapped, brought back across the border and, and held for ransom that, you know, we normally equate this to other countries in, in South America, but, uh, you know, we're going to see this more with those uh, border families. I, I honestly think the kidnapping and, and uh, holding for a hostage for ransom is going to be a major thing. It's so easy to cross. It, it, it doesn't take much. These are military-style groups with military tactics. And, um, you know, if these folks are landowners and they, they think that they have any sort of money or financial, um, you know, income that, that they can exploit, they, that, that's what I fear is probably the biggest, biggest problem for them. Right. Uh, Bill, what do you see? 
when you're down there, what do you see? Uh, what threats do you see facing the the homeowners, the landowners, the ranch owners, and stuff uh, down there on the border? Now, of course, we all know at least one case that made it uh, nationally the news, and that is uh, uh, the guy that. What did he do? He he had some illegals and and he kicked one of them or something, and they ended up suing him. And he lost all of his property, and it was awarded to the illegals. Right, right. Well, I mean, you, you have stories like that. You have stories of border patrol agents that, you know, shot somebody that was involved in moving narcotics. Uh, the guy was a known smuggler, I guess. They, what they did wrong was was conceal evidence. Not sure why what happened with the, but the U.S. government actually paid a known smuggler to come into the U.S. and testify against those agents. There, there, there was an instance where I guess there was somebody in handcuffs that had just smuggled bundles, had backpack strap marks on his back where he had the bundles, and they picked, they picked the person up by the handcuffs. And the handcuffs, I guess, cut into his skin. Well, so they actually the charged the Border Patrol agent with assault, fired him. I think he got one year in jail. Because when he picked the guy up by the handcuffs, he cut the other person's wrist that was currently involved in felony. But, you know, just small things like that that I think, you know, you have budget cuts, aliens being released, the increased violence against police officers and border agents. You you destabilize the border, and then you look at the economy is getting rough. Well, the cartel can flourish in a failed economy. So if there is a financial bubble and if it pops, there's already enough of cartel operating within Texas, within the U.S., that can flourish inside of a failed system. Right, you know, right, exactly. You start cutting law enforcement. I mean, right now our economy isn't even that bad, and they're cutting law enforcement. And there's – I understand the difference, like you are talking about earlier, the airport. If you look at El Al, I had an opportunity to work in Miami on a task force for a little bit. El Al doesn't pat down grandma. He's not patting down your wife. He's not molesting your daughter. You know, when Israelis do it, they target based on what their threat is. Right. And if they think you're from a certain group or a certain threat, then you're going to get targeted based on statistical analysis. And if you're part of that group, I'm sorry, but does it really hurt you to answer a few questions? You know, that you, I don't understand if grandma comes to a line, is that really what your target is to pat her down or, you know, 11 year old kid? Is that how, how many 11 year old kids have blown up airplanes? I don't know. Right. And, well, listen, and, and that's me just talking is it. just common sense, you know, or. Right. But, uh, it's not just drugs, though. I mean, we're talking about drugs quite a bit, but it's not just drugs. Uh, from January of 1999 to April of 2006, which is about uh, oh, almost uh, well, six and a half years, uh, there were 240,000 illegal aliens that committed 960,000 uh, sex offenses in the United States. 240,000 illegal aliens committed 960,000 sexual offenses. Uh, and this, along with the the economic burden, uh, is 
it is putting a huge uh, burden on our nation. Listen, we're just about to to run out of time, uh, but I want to ask you guys real quick, uh, Wayne. What do you think? Uh, what do you think is is a uh, at least one thing that we could do to start reversing this? What is one one of the things that we could do uh, to help? secure our our border and to help relieve the problems that we're facing well if if you're giving me just one i'll have to say this uh we we need to utilize um our military and secure our borders supplement the border patrol uh and 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 make this a military operation uh because it is uh when you invade our country that is a military problem and we need to supplement and flood the border uh, with um, military troops along with federal agents and and secure the borders tightly and correctly and make sure that we have controlled access that is monitored. We have to do that first before anything else will work. And whether that's more troops with a wall, whatever the case is, we must secure the border 100% all the time. All right. And then, uh, Bill... What do you think, uh, as far as uh, as uh, the law enforcement down there on the front lines, what do you think, uh, what would be one thing that you would like to see happen in order to make the uh, our border more secure and to alleviate the, the violence? I, I think 100% what Wayne said is correct. And most people that work law enforcement, if they were being honest, are going to say the same thing. It's just... It's become so organized, and you have generations now, and it's it's not one head of a snake. There's family groups, there's organizations that, you know, you can say, okay, we're going to take out this cartel, that cartel. Well, it's not that simple. It's a network. So unless we treat it the same way we're treating the war on terrorism in Afghanistan and Iraq, which really isn't working that well either, you know, but at least secure our border, cut it off, and then once the border is secure, come up with a guest worker program, do something about the problem that's here. But it, you have to at some point you have to stop the flood, right? And the promises of amnesty just increase the flood. The promises of releasing aliens, cutting budgets, just in, gives more incentive to come, right? Because they're going to try and hurry up and make it. Like you said, hurry up and make it here. Uh, so they can be here waiting in line for the amnesty. Well, listen, yes, guys, I want to thank you both. Wayne, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to come on tonight and speak about this. Uh, I I hope you have the best of luck with your uh, with your work and with your your work with the uh, Republican Party down there. And Bill, it's thank you for uh, what you're doing down there every day on the line. And uh, and uh, I really appreciate it, Wayne. You got anything you would like to say? I, I just—it's uh, been an honor to be on your show. It—it's just amazing um, the responses that I've I've received, and uh, it's a blessing. And I appreciate the work you're doing, bringing this to light. And I appreciate the work of uh, all of our troops and federal agents who are overworked, underpaid and who are away from their families for extended amounts of time. Uh, God bless them, and thank you for having me on your show. Well, thank you. 
And Bill, uh, what about you? I just want to say uh, thanks for everything you guys are doing. I know a couple of years, almost two years ago now, I went out there to the villa and got my rifleman's patch that I always thought I was a good shooter and I was a good point shooter, but Appleseed actually tightened up my shot group beyond my expectations and it's become one of my favorite hobbies now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, excellent. Okay, guys, uh, thanks for uh, for being on the show. Uh, I want to thank everybody that's listening tonight and uh, we'll see you guys next Thursday night. 7 p.m. Central. Thanks. God bless you all. Thank you. Just how free is